Hi, thanks for tuning in to You'll Think of Something for our second episode. Today, we're talking all about how to manage you and your time. We discuss a ton of different methods, tools, software, etc., and you can find links to all of these resources on our website, ytos-podcast.com. The most important thing to remember is that everyone's system of organization and time management is unique to them. So pick and choose from what we offer to figure out what's best for you. Okay, let's get into it. Hello, hello. Welcome to the second episode of You'll Think of Something. We are so excited that you're here. And we're so excited to be here too. I'm Allie Perkins, a talent and HR professional with lots of experience in the learning and development space. And I'm Kara Oropalo. I'm an assistant professor of practice at the School of Arts, Technology, and Emerging Communication at UT Dallas. Prior to my time at UT Dallas, I spent about 12 years at DreamWorks Animation. So I love talking about management, especially with my good friend, Allie. So that's why we're here um, in our second episode. Second Um, episode! (laughs) So good. Our first episode was on icebreakers. So if you haven't listened to that one, you should go ahead and go back uh, and listen to that one. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe as well. Since this is our second episode, we're going to introduce a brand new segment called CBBs. Yes, CBBs could be betters. This is a term we use often in the world of animation uh, to talk about notes that we wish we could address, but we might not have time to address, or we might have to just come back to later if we could. Um, And so we're hoping uh, that we can occasionally come back to items that we didn't maybe fully address in previous episodes, maybe things that we got wrong uh, or things just that we would like to improve upon, you know, things that could be better. And I already have something that can be better. Um, In our first episode, I referenced the triad of uh, results, process, and relationships. But instead of calling it results, process, and relationships, I called it business process and relationships. So I wanted to go ahead, put that correction on the record, and promise that I will be better next time. But that's okay too, Allie, because I think it's important to remember that we all make mistakes and admitting the mistakes and moving forward is a big part of uh, the process. So Yay for you. Thank you for that affirmation. (laughs) (laughs) So just so you remember that we're, you know, just so you remember what we're doing here, we're creating a podcast that's going to provide a space for focused discussion on how to be a productive or creative person on a team in your own personal work and in your life. Uh, So uh, I wanted to put that little reminder out there, and I really like how that does tie in with feedback, Kara, because it is important. I know. Mm -hmm. We are going to be definitely talking about feedback at some point on this podcast because it's one of my favorite things to talk about, and the fact that we shouldn't shy away from feedback. There is no reason to try to be perfect. Like, feedback is a good thing. We're all just trying to be better all the time. Absolutely right. So please, do. if you think that we aren't going to talk about feedback, uh, don't lose any sleep over that. We'll get to it, I promise. (laughs) Um, One thing to remember about this podcast is that each episode is going to center around a topic and an accompanying worksheet. So you can always download the worksheet ahead of time and fill it out with us. Or you can go back afterwards and fill it out yourself. It will always be available on our website so that you can follow along. Um, Because if you're anything like Allie and me, you love taking notes and processing. Absolutely. So with that, uh, do you want to just jump into our worksheet for episode two? Yes, let's do it. Let's jump into today's topic, which is managing you. So... When we say managing you, what, what, what do you think that means, Allie? For me, managing myself um, means thinking about the ways in which I organize myself. And that means uh, prioritizing my life and finding the time in my week, my month, or my year 
to accomplish what it is that I want to accomplish. Uh, so when we think about it's so hard, by the way, it is. can I just say like so hard? It's so, hard. <laughs> so when we think about managing others, um, you know, that topic, I think, comes really easily to us. We think about leadership skills and we think about strategies and we think about, um, you know, performance management. Uh, but, you know, in this discussion today, we're going to talk about what kinds of skills and strategies and frameworks uh, that you use for yourself. Um, and Kara, I think that you have a really special connection to this topic this is my favorite topic this is my favorite I love talking about this so much um I I talk about this at length um in my university classes so with students who are just stepping out of uh, the world of high school and entering a new world of autonomy um, and who've never really talked about this before. Uh, so I, I, I really enjoy um, having these sorts of discussions with uh, college students. Um, but I also uh, spend a lot of time uh, speaking with professionals about this because just like there's that transition when you move from high school to college or college to work, right? And you're adjusting those sorts of, of, of lifestyles and, and methods of organization and motivation and habits. When you are a professional stepping into a management role, you are experiencing a whole new world of managing yourself and managing your time. And to deal with uh, having back-to-back -back meetings on top of also being responsible for getting like a load of work done can just feel incredibly overwhelming and impossible. Uh, and, and I think that what we all need to do is recognize that we are in charge of our own time and that we can design systems to make ourselves more effective. Like we can do this, uh, but you have to be willing to put some boundaries in place. You have to be willing to set up those tools and processes and figure out what works specifically for you. I think you, so, know, you hit the nail on the head though with that last part is when we, you're designing these strategies, they ha are more often than not unique to the person. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Because what is going to motivate you is not going to motivate me. Um, and what is going to feel like completion to you, mm -hmm. like maybe it's a check mark on a to-do list, or maybe it's graying something out on your digital, you know, uh, Excel spreadsheet. Um, those things are going to bring different levels of satisfaction to you than they are necessarily to me. So basically, we just answered number one on our worksheet, which was, what do we mean by managing you? Uh, and we got a little bit ahead of ourselves there because we're just so excited. Uh, but I do think it's important to recognize that most of us are not taught this. This is not something that is explained in a classroom or a boss doesn't sit down with you and say, this is how you should do this. And because of that, we often do feel um, overwhelmed by what's on our plate or under-motivated, and we don't know why, and we don't recognize that this is something that we can take a hold of and make changes, um, you know, to what, to like how we're handling the workload that's on our plate. So I think that sort of dovetails into question number two on the worksheet, which is, uh, you know, what motivates you? So I, I, I ask you, Allie, what motivates you? Where is your sense of accountability? I have a really strong sense of inner accountability. Um, I'm the kind of person that when you start reading a book, uh, or when I start reading a book, I have to read it all the way through, regardless of how bad it is, regardless of how time consuming, uh, whether it's worth it or not, does not matter. I just know that I started it, so I have to finish it. That is so funny. I love that about you. <laughs> But also, uh, from years and years of doing like behavioral assessments, um, I also recognize that I'm pressure prompted. So um, when deadlines are approaching, I'm more likely to pick up the pace and find the motivation to be able to complete the task. Um, that is not necessarily a great thing, but it is something that I'm aware of. And so it does play a really important part of how I strategize around accomplishing um, you know, my tasks. 
I love that you were talking about your inner accountability and then also uh, that phrase pressure sensitive. Like that's, that's such a good phrase. Um, all of this reminds me of um, The Four Tendencies, which is a book by Gretchen Rubin. Uh, I would love, uh, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, so Gretchen Rubin is this amazing writer who focuses on habits and happiness. And she has her own podcast, Happier, uh, as well as a number of books uh, that focus on what can we do? What are what are tangible or uh, applicable things that we can do in our daily lives to genuinely make us happier? And one of the things that she has really focused her research on in recent years is called the four tendencies, which is this framework to talk about where is your sense of accountability? Where do you, um, how do you get your sense of motivation? And she says there are four tendencies. The first one is an upholder, and this person responds to inner accountability as well as outer accountability, a.k.a. Allie Perkins. <laughs> then there is a questioner, and this person, uh, not that they reject outer accountability, but they respond better to inner accountability. And what that means is, if they feel it is legitimate, they will say, yes, I will do that because it matches, it aligns with their inner accountability or their inner expectations. My husband is definitely a questioner. My husband, uh, Brandon, he has a, uh, uh, an, an easy time following the rules when he understands why. So, for example, he can follow uh, the speed limit because he's like, yes, this keeps us safe. We should all do this. Um, when it comes to COVID, he's very black and white. He's like, these are the things that we do to stay safe because it keeps us all safe. But he has a really hard time with like TSA agents or bouncers because he's like, where is your sense of authority? Like, why are you asking me to do this or that? What is the reason behind it? So a questioner is always saying why. And if they agree, then they will comply. Uh, and then there's a rebel. The rebel um, uh, basically rejects all accountability, right? They do not respond to inner or outer expectations. A lot of artists are rebels. Uh, these are people who um, they don't want to do what you want them to do. And if they set a goal for themselves, they're still going to rebel against themselves and not do what they want to do. I found just a, a side note with people who are rebels that the, the way to make a difference is by giving people a lot of potential options. And you can do this for yourself too, that you can put a lot of like options on your plate, like different assignments, because then you're not saying I have to do this one thing right now. It's like, I'll pick what I feel like doing I right now. I love that. I love yeah. that. It doesn't work for me. I need somebody to tell me exactly what to do at all times, but for someone who needs that flexibility, they can hop from project to project. And the last uh, tendency, uh, the most common tendency is the obliger. And I am 100% an obliger. And textbook. This textbook. Textbook. Textbook obliger. Textbook. I respond to outer expectations, outer accountability. I just totally walk all over myself. I have no problem um, denying myself things. Like I have no inner accountability, which can be really frustrating. So I, I, I bring all of this up because for me, this was sort of revolutionary because as an obliger, I was like, why can't I ever accomplish the things I want to do? Like, why can't I get things done? But what I realized was the thing that motivates me is outer accountability. So if I set a meeting with someone else, if I set a deadline uh, or a time with someone else, that will make me get things done. If I have a workout buddy, if I have a book club, if I have, um, if I tell someone that I'm working on a book and that I'm, I'm writing and that I'm going to send them my next chapter on Friday, that is what's going to get me to get it done. Because I don't care about what I think, but I care about what they think. So I have a question for you. Yes. How long did it take you to recognize this about yourself? I mean, probably, I mean, I'm 37 now. I think probably when I was like 30, I figured it out. Okay. And I went through many years of feeling like 
really guilty about the fact that I couldn't ever get the things done that I wanted to get done or that it felt random. Like, why did I get this thing done, but not this thing done? And it was because either maybe I was working with someone else that also felt motivated. And so I got that thing done. Or sometimes I was working with another obliger like myself and we just sort of fell into disarray and we didn't get things done together. Right. Yes. (laughs) So I think that, uh, it was, it was really causing me a lot of turmoil for a long time. And now I feel like I can, and, and I mean this in a good way, like I can manipulate my brain. I'm like, I know what I need to like set this sense of, to give me, to motivate me and to give me a sense of accountability. And but that's a good thing. Isn't that what managing yourself is all about? Just manipulating your brain to get yeah, things done? Because if we didn't do it, we would just be on the couch all day. Yeah. Right. Which is really what we all want to be doing anyway. <laughs> so I highly recommend um, the book, The Four Tendencies. And if you want, you can also go to GretchenRubin.com and take her quiz to find out what tendency you have. Although I think everyone has a pretty good idea of what they are. Yeah, it's pretty strongly delineated. I really I think so too. Mm -hmm. She does talk about the fact that people have um, like a tendency to move somewhere during stress. So for and I and I think this is interesting because I for example, and I'm obliger who moves to rebellion when I'm stressed, because I'm like, F all of this. So I like cancel everything. And I'm like, I don't care if I'm late. I don't care, whatever. Like, which is the exact opposite, of course, of how I normally am. Because normally I'm like, like me, like me, please. Like, I don't want to get on your bad side. And when I get to this point of stress, I just start canceling like crazy. No, that that makes sense. I, I mean, they call it all sorts of things in different assessments, right? They call it the right. grip. They call it zing out. And it's zing out. I've seen that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and just like flipping your script on your behavior, which is super interesting. Yeah. So anyway, um, so there's there's we found out where our senses of accountability are. <laughs> no, that's great. I, and I'd never heard of Gretchen Rubin before. You talked to me about. Uh, her work. So I'm super excited to dig deeper into that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if anybody has any other interesting, like um, frameworks for motivation or accountability, like I'm very interested in learning about them because I think it's so interesting how our mind psychologically processes what it is that we, even if it's something we want to accomplish, like what we, we do with that information or how that translates into actually like getting the work done. And, you know, there's also, I feel like there's also um, some stigma around certain kinds of motivation. Like yes. when people say, like, what motivates you? You hesitate to say, like, money, you know? Or you, <laughs> yeah. or you, you know, you may hesitate to say, you know, no, I think that's a really great okay. point. Mm-hmm. Um, we we like to wrap it up in like much nicer things, right? Like yes. we want to be much more altruistic about our motivations. That's a great way to when say most of you know most of the time it is either money or accolades or I'm looking to get ahead, um, and and we have to recognize that that's not bad as long as we also have you know other things that motivate us like love and friendship and happiness. Like those things are important too. It's all about the balance. Yes. Yeah. It's all about managing yourself Ex- to get that. <laughs> all comes full circle. So now that we've talked a little bit about our motivations um, and the awareness that we have around those, um, what tools and processes do you use in order to execute uh, those tasks that that come into your life. Yeah, I am a big fan of Trello. Um, I use that. It's an app, Trello.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, There's many different ways to use Trello. It's a Kanban system or Kanban, as some people call it, which is basically um, like a glorified post-it note system. And for me, it, um, I really love crossing items off my list or like, getting rid of items. Uh, but also I'm a big visual person. And so Trello works really well for me because I get to have both in one space. Um, and so I have a list and I, and we can include a, a, a screen grab in the show notes, but I have, a, I have a list of what I need to work on today. 
And then I have a list of what I need to work on this week. And then I have larger um, tasks in other lists. And then every uh, Monday morning, I sit down and I make sure that the to-do list for today is right and the to-do list for this week is right. And then every morning I end up bringing those items over from this week into the to-do list for today or being like, oh God, I'm not going to get to that. Let's push that back to next week, which is a common occurrence. So that's half of my system. I would say the other half of my system is my calendar, which I use um, very religiously. Like I block out times to do very specific tasks and then on my to-do list on Trello, I'll say this is a Thursday task because I have a good like two-hour chunk that I can get this done on Thursday. And I plan for that. So I treat my tasks as meetings and I put them on my calendar accordingly. Um, it takes a lot of discipline putting those tasks onto your meeting calendar and then actually abiding by that calendar. It's true. And to be honest, I don't always, right? But I don't kick myself when I don't um, because life happens, right? Like we can't always, but I try. And if I don't put them on my calendar and if I don't, again, that's that weird sort of sense of outer obligation, right? Like if it's on my calendar, it's a thing that I'm responsible for. Um, and if I don't do that, then I don't set aside the right amount of time for the work. No, and that makes sense. And that visual representation of, this, you know, form may not take me 30 minutes to fill out, but I have to go into my email. I have to yep. find the link. I have yep. to pull it up. I have to either fill it out, PDF, print it. And then by the time that I have to go look up a piece of information that I need for the form, it's going to take 30 minutes. So yes. if it's just another thing on my to-do list, it's a lot less likely to get done unless I've assigned it a time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so tell me about you. What do you do? So I, I think I just told you what I do, which is, um, <laughs> which, so I'll start big picture though. Uh, because I do have that strong sense of inner accountability, um, I tend to get my hands into a lot of projects and wanting to do things and then I commit to them and then I'm like, wow, I only have 24 hours in the day and I also have to like sleep, eat, take care of my family. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, I have become very reliant on strict goal setting. Um, probably in the last year or so when I... Probably, in the, yeah, in the last year or so when I was balancing uh, graduate school and an uh, infant. Uh, and mm. it became super, super clear that I needed to really think about how I was balancing my time. And uh, so I actually went old school and I carry a planner and I take it with me pretty much everywhere I go. It's a grid dot journal and I create my own calendars for the month. So I have one month calendar. I usually do like two months ahead of time just so that I can reference it. Um, and I then do uh, a weekly and I'll do a daily checklist. So it's uh, a lot like bullet journaling, which is, by the way, it's, it is, it basically is. Uh, and I use a lot of markers and I use a lot of, um, symbols and there's a lot of patterns and things that I use as well. And I also feel like that is something that feeds the creative need mm -hmm. that I have, uh, while still being very productive. And so, uh, and I want to go back to this goal setting thing because, uh, the reason it's so relevant is because I was getting into all of this stuff and the things that were filling up my day weren't feeding the big goals that I right. had. Right. Yes. So, I like to refer to that as low hanging fruit, right? Like, uh, I'm, I'm filling my day with answering emails or doing these dumb meetings or participating in stuff that it's like this is easy to do or it's on my calendar. And if I don't like intentionally set my time, it will be there. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and, but I have to work hard to clear this away and get to the stuff that really matters. Absolutely. So it is really helpful for me to have that vision of what I want to accomplish. And so that makes it easier for me to evaluate my time 
and decide whether or not that item or that task is really supporting that bigger picture. Uh, so wait a minute, mm-hmm. How? Like, what does goal setting look like for you? Like, is that something that you're doing like once a year, every three months or like every week? Are you like checking in on like Allie Perkins life goals list? Like, what does that look like? Because uh, I think a lot of people are like, I want to set big goals and I want to reach them. But like, I'm, I'm interested to hear what your process is for that. No, absolutely. Um, you know, we'll talk about goals. I got a big big silly smile on my face when you were like, what does goals look like? Because I will talk to you about goals. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about goal setting frameworks probably at some point. Okay, but, great. But for me, in terms of cadence, uh, it's usually that um, I definitely do it at the start of the new year, like everybody mm-hmm. else, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. I do that. Um, and then as I tick things off, I'll usually just go ahead and replace it with something else. So for example, um, for example, this year, um, a big goal that I had was to finish my MBA by the end of 2020. And I accomplished that. I I accomplished that. uh, And immediately without even taking a breath, uh, I was like, I'm going to learn how to sew. So I put put that on my list. I have a running list of goals and I try not to overcrowd and I just try to, you know, replace as they fall away. I'm really lucky because I have these natural moments in my life to check on my goals because my life is structured in semesters Mm -hmm. and my birthday is December 30th. So it's at the new year. So. Yeah, right. So good job, mom. So I, <laughs> I, at the new year, always create like my list of goals. And then when the spring semester ends, I sit down and say, what is this looking like? And then at the end of summer, I can do the same thing. And then I, it creates sort of a nice cadence. But that's something that I do recommend to people that it, you you want to be more intentional with your goals. You want to set those and then come back to them frequently, you know, not every week, but yeah, absolutely. Because if they're front of mind, then you are better able to recognize if you are achieving those goals, or if you need to redirect your time, or even reevaluate whether or not if the goal is still meaningful for you. Yeah, seriously, really good point. And also, you it just helps me say no to things, really, like, let's be honest, like, that's the big part of it is that like, it, it makes me say no. Which is important. And it's hard. It's hard to say no sometimes. Yeah. So um, the other part of this that I wanted to talk about, and this this is relevant to goal setting, is also vision boarding. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is something I actually picked up pretty recently uh, because I was having a lot of trouble during my job search. Mm, yeah. Really, truly figuring out what it is that I wanted from my next role. Because when um, I was laid off, and so there was kind of this thick coat of desperation that I had painted onto every job application. Uh, And so I was like, I'll take anything, you know? Um, (laughs) But my time is worth more than that. My life, my livelihood is worth more than that. So I had to really uh, exercise uh, some discipline and really narrow in in as to what I wanted. So uh, vision boarding really was going and getting a bunch of like old magazines and looking through like peeling um, peeling out things that spoke to me visually, and then creating a list of the top you know 10 15 companies that I really wanted to work for so it gave me parameters not to say that I wouldn't have taken a job that wasn't on that list of course but it gave me parameters to say you know what this is what I want to do right and I can work every day towards that right and if something comes along that's better great it doesn't have to be on that list but this list is where I'm working from and before we move on, I think it's super important to add that uh, this concept of vision boarding and being able to hold out for the right job is actually a really privileged position to be in at this time. 
And I was fortunate that my husband had steady work during COVID. And so I was able to, you know, not I, we were able to put food on the table and to not worry about uh, the roof over our heads. Uh, But, um, you know, that's not to downplay the exercise of vision boarding because anybody can do it. Um, But I just want to recognize that um, saying like I, that my time is worth more than this and that I am worth more than this is not something everyone can say. Right. And I think what's nice about what you're saying right now is that it also recognizes that you can make that vision board and say, I'm going to take this job right now, or I'm going to do this thing I need to get by but know that I am looking for something beyond that. Mm-hmm. Have like your exit things, strategy. Yeah, like I think those things can coexist. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so um, the last thing that I really want to talk about in terms of my process is um, assigning every hour a job. Ooh. And this is something that I do because I am a social person by nature. And I love, you know starting my day. Uh, well, we'll talk about how we start our days, but um, I love being able to catch up with people when we mm-hmm. were in offices. I, I would mm-hmm. love just to just catch up, check temperatures, not physically, but, you know, metaphorically. <laughs> and also just have very casual conversations about what work was going on in the office. And that's how collaboration happens organically. And I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Um, but if I wasn't careful, I could have that time creep into my actual work time, which caused me to be more stressed and stay later. What a polite way to talk about all of the, the problem that we all have, which is that we spend too much of our day talking to our coworkers instead of actually getting shit done. <laughs> but the thing is, is this, it still had to get done. And so yeah. like, I was just there till really late. And then I was working on weekends. Right. And, and right. it's not like, and it's not like the interactions with my coworkers weren't valuable. Those relationships. Oh, they were. Oh my gosh. They were. They're so valuable. Um, but, um, assigning every hour a job just meant that I could be more realistic about my day. Can I go say hi to the six people that are in my hall? Probably not today. If I have every hour assigned something, um, can I go to a long lunch today? If I have a really packed afternoon, probably not. Um, so when I assign, uh, an hour uh, or uh, yeah, assign an hour, a job, I think really hard about whether that item is going to take a whole hour or if I'm assigning it an hour so that I can pad my day a little bit and have some breathing room for those things that come up. Um, and I say that because sometimes someone calls you and you're the gatekeeper of some sort of information or you right. are the expert on something and they truly do need your help. Yeah. And so um, padding my day that way allowed me to have the bandwidth to support uh, other areas of the organization. Yeah, that's great. And and if we don't pad our day, if you don't create that room for flexibility, you're just so stressed yes. all the time. All the time. Yeah. I, one of the, this, this relates, I promise, one of the um, best lessons I learned early was I had a producer um, my first producer, she said to me, um, if you're here on the weekends, that doesn't mean that you're a hard worker. That means you couldn't get your shit done during the work week. Yes. And that was a really important like uh, mindset for me, especially because coming in as a production assistant and thinking like I should be here 80 hours a week that shows people that I work hard. Um, it was important for me to recognize that like, no, that that shows people that you don't know how to get your work done. That's right. She, She also was amazing because she had a super chatty uh, co-producer and I would watch her when he walked into her office, I would watch her casually stand up from her desk and he would stand up with her and they would casually walk out of her office and she would just walk him back into his office and then leave him. 
And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, what a power move. <laughs> and But, you know, th- that's the kind of thing, and we talk about this a lot, is when there's trust in a relationship, those kinds of things can happen, and they happen yeah. without hurt feelings, right? Mm-hmm. It's really important to have those conversations or uh, about uh, your work tendencies and make agreements, you know, yes. about how you're going to work together and how you're going to respect each other's time as well. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, because you need to be able to say, get out of my office, I have things to do. That's absolutely right. One of the one of my favorite things that I ever uh, saw was, and I can't remember which company it was, um, which is probably going to be like the phrase of the day on this podcast. Like, I don't remember what company did this, but um, they established a red, yellow, green system for their cubicles. Oh my gosh. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's so smart. Mm -hmm. Red was heads down, please don't come bother me. Uh, Yellow was um, doing work, but I do have time to chat or send me a message. Um, You know, and then uh, green was, you know, like I'm relaxed. I just finished mm -hmm. my assignment, whatever. Yeah. Do you want to go get a cup of coffee? That kind of thing. So I I really like that. that. Especially with so many offices now. uh, I mean, not right now because now we're all home. But like in general, most offices are on an open floor plan mm-hmm. and exactly. that can be really overwhelming for people. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wait, it's- one other thing before we get off of yeah. tools and processes that I wanted to talk to you about is um, like a home life versus work life. Like, do you have things that you do at home such as like, do you have grocery apps that you and your husband share or anything like that that you use to make your home life run smoother? Oh, this um my home life system of organization is top notch so there is a fantastic app called paprika and it is do you know it no um it's an app and when you find a recipe online like especially from a blog you know they can be a little bit wordy and um (laughs) And it takes like 13, like you're like, you're just like scrolling, scrolling. You're like, just get me to the recipe. Yes. yes. I hate it. Um, <laughs> and uh, what it does is it dissects the page into a directions and an ingredients tab. Stop. Stop. It's so good. You can, um, it also has like a built-in feature when you do see the ingredients list you can gray out the ones you already have and then transfer those items that you don't have to a shopping list. What? Mm-hmm. I love this. It's so good. And it has a meal planning feature that I absolutely love too. Is this free? It's free. It's totally oh free. No, it's, you know, it's not, but it's like a $3.99 one-time purchase. Okay. It's totally it's worth like it. It's like $3.99. Yeah, so mm-hmm. totally worth it. Yeah, that's Totally free. worth it. Um, but also I keep a running list of meals a, a lot of things they it all revolves yeah. around food um yeah. but mostly I keep, it does though right? like i mean that's like most most of family life is making sure everyone's eating yeah, yeah. Yes. um so i keep a running list of meal ideas and meal things that or you know just meals that we have enjoyed and so i can pick from those when we do our weekly menu and then john michael and i share a um, grocery list slash to-do list uh, because sometimes Mm. those things kind of meld. Um, Mm -hmm. It's called the Ina Garten list um, Mm. because she's she's an icon and (laughs) uh, and so yeah that's what we use to keep ourselves organized. What about you? We use any do any dot do um, and it's, you can use it for lots of list making, but we primarily use it for a grocery list and a target list. So then when we're going about like our daily lives and we're like, oh, we're out of peanut butter or we're getting low, we add it to the list. And then we do, when we do our meal planning, we just use, we like reference that or we put all the ingredients on there. Um, and then we, and then what's nice is it like starts it starts to recognize like the stuff that you're putting on it or whatnot or you're using frequently, which is great. Ooh, I like that. It does also have a place for recipes and it does have a place for um, meal planning, but the meal planning you do have to pay for and we have not paid for it. So no, paprika that comes with it. So yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to check on that. Um, the other thing we do is just like the traditional um, uh, dry erase board in the 
kitchen that has all the plans for this week, um, like meal wise, as well as like any significant events or reasons that someone's going to be out of the house, which are usually pretty minimal right now, <laughs> um, next to like a, um, a traditional, like a, like a calendar, like a, like a, um, what do you call that? Like a, like a printed calendar. A and calendar? I think that's, uh, what'd you say? A calendar? We call that a calendar. calendar. <laughs> it's next to my calendar. Anyway, uh, I think that that uh, is a particular departure for me, though, because I spend a lot of my time organizing myself digitally, except when it comes to my home life, which I prefer, pref I prefer to organize my home life uh, on paper. Huh. And I think it has something to do with a separation of like church and state, right? Like That's hysterical because I'm the other way around. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so I do a lot of stuff on paper, except for like our grocery app, which we share. Mm -hmm. um, also, because much like your family, we're all, we're all about sharing as many tasks as possible between, um, you know, genders. And we also try to make sure that we're uh, both cooking, we're both shopping, like doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing I will say to people who are worried about like having like this kind of information on apps, like actually like equalizes the work because other people can access your brain. I have one more thing I want to add about tools, which is the joy of recurrences. I recognize um, that I am a person who stresses over um, the micro details. And when I can alleviate that stress for myself, it's wonderful. So for example, in Trello, I can set the pay my credit cards recurrence and that card, even when I like delete it and say, I'm done with you, I've paid my September credit card, it's going to automatically pop back up on my to-do list in like a month. And I love that because then I trust my technology that it's going to remind me and I can let the stress of paying for my credit cards be lifted from my mind. Oh, yeah. Like one less thing you have to worry about. And there's so much to worry about right now. And there's so much to worry about right now. So um, when I can, I like to enable tools to remind me like that they take the stress load for me. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about it. That makes sense. Total sense. Yeah. Uh, so I think that brings us to number four, which is actually something I'm really excited to talk to you about because uh, the kind of staple article in like Fast Company or Inc. Magazine or Fortune is uh, the morning rituals of the most productive people. And so I want to know a little bit about your morning ritual uh, and maybe how it's changed over the years or, you know, what you found works for you. Yes, absolutely. Um, it certainly has changed over the years. I uh, did not used to be a morning person. Um, I used to be, I've always been a person who does not get enough sleep because I burn the candle at both ends. And so <laughs> I would usually oversleep and stress out and be running late to things. Um, but since having children, I have found that morning is my solo time. It's my quiet time. It's my special time. And so I try very hard to go to bed earlier. And by earlier for me, it's like, I try to go to bed at like 11-ish so that I can get up 5.30 or 6 and have an hour to an hour and a half by myself before the household wakes up. And so that's really important to me. It's time alone with my coffee um, to process, to maybe work on the thing that I need to be doing when my mind is at its brightest. It's mommy's it's most special time, right? Mommy's special time, yes. So I found that that is really important to me. Um, I found that uh, I need to spend the time on my to-do list um, and on my calendar so that I feel set for the day. Mm -hmm. And in general, um, I like to take the first hour of my work time on Mondays to really plan out my week and make sure that like I set that I set that aside as a meeting that I'm like, I can't book over this hour because I need to be able to process what I, how I'm going to be spending my time this week. However, I will say that in this time of, of COVID and quarantine, I have not had that. And it has been incredibly stressful for me. I end up getting to that like at lunchtime on Monday or after lunchtime on Monday. And it just starts me off with this feeling of like the week is already running away from me. 
Um, so I've tried to like uh, resolve that in a couple different ways, whether it's waking up early on Mondays to try to get that done on my own or to try to do it Sunday night. Sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. Um, how about you? Tell me about your morning rituals. So I am a morning person by nature. I really enjoy getting up early. It's when I get my best work done. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now um, I wake up and I check my email, and my social media right away just to kind of get that um, done and uh, drop off my baby at daycare. So really lucky too that we have um, a you know a daycare that's still in session. Um, yes. And then um, really the first thing I do is pick out some podcasts if I'm not listening to an audiobook and I exercise. Um, I go walking or running or I do um, I'm also a daily burn person so, I do a this daily is such burn. a clear example, by the way, of how you have inner accountability versus my out accountability. Like you're like every morning I get up and I work out and I do all these things. And I'm like, I'm a mess until I get time by myself, like blah, blah, blah. I mean, but, but also the dangers of this is that I can fall into a routine and that routine can control my life yes yes and that um that happens like actually Gretchen Rubin talks about that in the four tendencies that like that sense of rigidity that an upholder can have because it's like I must do this thing I must exercise even if I don't feel well yes right yes, which I and do all the time and then I get even sicker um, yes right, or, right um it was also it's especially when I was younger it was also a huge thing um, that really prevented me from exercising good time management because, like, for example, if I always got a coffee on my way to work, it didn't matter if I was 15 minutes late to work. I still needed <laughs> to get my coffee. Because yes. it, it's just my day wouldn't be right. Right. That is the routine. Yes, that's how I do it. Um, yeah. and, and then after I exercise and I get those things done, I've already felt like I've accomplished Things. And right. so I can set my, my days on the right foot and then I plan out my day. And that's when I assign my hours right. and, and kind of take a, a look at what the day is going to look like. I'd like to note here for me that something that um, I really miss in the time of COVID is um, coffee shops. Um, because for me in general, uh, a coffee shop has always been like a safe space for working because I don't get distracted by the stuff that's at home or the stuff that's at the office. Like I just get to focus on the task at hand. And that actually has been really difficult for me. Um, it was a great habit before, um, but now that I'm not allowed into coffee shops, it's been hard. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the things that work for us. Let's talk a little bit about what doesn't work for us. So Allie, what are the things that you've tried and thrown away? Number one on my list, the task list on Microsoft Office Outlook. <laughs> I hate that thing. I also don't like the Google thing. No, it, it, they will but, glow red flag, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. And um, I almost feel guilty deleting things off of it. I, I just, I can't stand it. So um, that has definitely gone in the dumpster for me. And then the second thing um, is Aaron Condren planners. Are you familiar with Aaron What's Condren? This? No, tell you me about check it out. You should check it out. It works for a lot of people. Uh, they are highly personalized planners that you can, you know, design the cover. You can request your start month. It can be daily, weekly, etc. So, you know, from earlier in our conversation, you know that I basically personalize every element of my own calendar um, for a lot of reasons. But the main reason is there's not enough room in those highly design-heavy planners. And also, while I really enjoy the aesthetic of stickers and things like that, uh, those things fall by the wayside. They're really exciting at first, and then I don't have time to do that anymore. Right. And then also you feel like a sense of guilt, like I'm not keeping up with my stickers or whatever. Yeah, I paid $78 for these stickers and I'm not even using them. 
<laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> um, I want to take a moment here to talk a little bit about a, a personal story you told me um, about journaling and planning and how for a little while you had to take a break from those. Do you mind sharing that? No, that's um, so a couple of years ago, I guess almost 10 years ago, I was um, living in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I had been a very avid journaler and planner user for, oh gosh, uh, 10 years at that point. I started in high school. And so I had these like huge collections of journals that were a mix of like collage and paint and all sorts of stuff. And they were really precious to me. And I was in a tornado on April 27th, 2011, and it destroyed my home and it destroyed my planners and, um, at and that, everything. And everything. Yeah, everything else. Yeah. Um, but I was really lucky to get out alive. Um, but at that point, I didn't I didn't feel compelled to pick up a planner or a um, or a journal for a really long time. And yeah. um, and so slowly, I mean, understandably, I mean, there's some serious PTSD associated with that. Absolutely. And so I think and, and I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought this up because while uh, Aaron Condren planners worked for me in the past, I think that was my reintroduction into that space. It was already designed for me. I could fill in the gaps, um, and it was already pre-designed, so I didn't have to do any of that that creative work. And maybe, maybe not as personal, um, a- a- honestly, like creatively personal as your other ones were. Mm-hmm. If I lost it, which not was a big a good deal. Bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I lost it, not a big deal. Exactly. And so now, I my. Planners have taken on uh, more of a journal feel. I will tell you one exercise that I really, really like for those of us who do use planners or who record things digitally. Um, I heard once of an exercise where the author or the podcaster would write one sentence about their day, just one. Mm -hmm. And it could be, I had a really nice um, dinner with my partner tonight or we cooked spaghetti, or um, the dog has an ear infection. I mean, just something about your day to like place a little marker. And so that is something that I carried along into my planners. Like sometimes just write down, um, Carrie, you know, had a doctor's appointment today and his head is massive, (laughs) you know, just to, Remember that I'm not just checking things off of a list, but I'm living my life. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. That's great. So what are the things that you've tried and have decided are just not for you? Like every app. Like I've tried tried all the apps. Um, I I need, I've recognized in myself that I need something that I can access on my computer and on my phone and that it needs to be easy. And other, otherwise, I'm not going to do it. So if there's any sort of barrier in place, I won't do it. So that's a really important thing for me. Um, and, 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 you know, as I often talk about with task management systems in general, like they are only as useful as the user and as, the, as useful as the updated information that the user puts into them. And so if we are not utilizing our systems, then there's no point in having them. <laughs> so um, I, what else? I've tried, um, because I was in production for so long, um, I worked with um, what is commonly referred to as a projections document for my artists, where we're talking about um, what is everyone working on this week and what's everyone working on next week and the next week. And it's supposed to be a transparency document. So everyone on the team, as well as the people above you can see what everyone's working on and what the plans are, um, that you're projecting. Um, and so I, at first I tried to bring that over for myself and create like a projections document to like production manage myself. Um, and that was way too fancy and I didn't do it. Um, and then, Other things that have been useful for me that just don't work for me now, but I think were good at the time. Um, In my in my job at DreamWorks, I had um, to do lists that were sorted by person or department or meeting because so much of my life revolved around um, speaking with others and 
um, communicating specific information to others. And so I had to be like, if I'm getting a half an hour with my producer, these are the moments, or I'm sorry, if I'm getting a half an hour with my producer, these are the six topics I have to get through with her. If I'm catching my director between these two meetings, I have to make sure that I'm bringing up this item. It is the highest priority. And then if I have time, these are the three other things I want to talk about. And so before um, creating a to-do list around um, people or, or departments was really important to me. Um, but now in my role as a professor, I'm much more autonomous and I don't have that situation. Um, but I think that structuring my information or my to-do list at work that way was really helpful for me when I was reporting to a lot of different people. I really like that. Like these are the prioritization, right? And knowing that when you have a limited amount of time with a person, you have to hit the high notes um, or else it could set you back. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, And that also you're just gonna annoy that person if you're coming in with some bullshit thing that doesn't matter, right? Yes, 100%. Um, all right. So um, what's your number one resource? So the one thing that you would recommend to anybody about managing yourself, time management, productivity. The book that has really made a difference for me in the last year is Essentialism by Greg McCune. The book focuses on what do you need to focus on? And for me, that has been incredibly important. Um, And I've actually been giving it as a gift to a bunch of people this year because it was so revolutionary for me when I read it. And I want to pass that on to others. Um, I want other people to remember that their time is theirs and it is a precious resource and that we have to watch out for it and we have to guard it and we have to say no to things. And and even saying this out loud is a good reminder to myself to be doing that and to always be vigilant. And that's something that uh, they talk a a lot about in the book that it's like, this is not something that you do once and you're like, cool, I cleared out my calendar or I cleared out my life of clutter and I feel good now. It is something that we have to do weekly, monthly, yearly to ensure that we are focusing on the right things, that we are spending our time on the right things. And that's not just um, like that I'm getting the right, uh, I'm, I'm like accomplishing my goals at work. It's also like living into our values, spending time volunteering, spending time um, with our family, like prioritizing what is important to you. Um, so that book for me has been really important. So my hot tip is to go read Essentialism. Kara made me read Essentialism, and I think that you'll hear uh, kind of the tenets of that book um, if you listen to me talk about goal setting and vision boarding and trying to connect all of my daily tasks back to um, my bigger goals. And that was a big influence in how I articulate that, you know, that basically framework around how I I organize my life. So thank you to Kara um, for recommending that. Uh, Wait, wait, tell us, tell us though, what's your number one resource? Tell us what, what you recommend. So um, one of the time management tools that I come back to over and over again, especially for new leaders or someone taking on a new role where their responsibilities are changing is the Eisenhower matrix. I love it. I love the Eisenhower matrix. I almost started talking about it earlier when you were talking about zinging out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the Eisenhower matrix, for um, those of you that aren't familiar, is um, a matrix that's usually attributed to uh, President Eisenhower because he was a stickler for time management. And it is a four box uh, matrix. And those four boxes are urgent, not urgent, uh, important, and not important. And each of those boxes has an action associated with it. So when something is urgent, uh, you need to do it now. When something is uh, 
not uh, urgent, but it's still important, then you have to decide when to do it. Um, when something is urgent and not important, then you can delegate it. And then when something is not urgent and not important, you can delete it. So you can eliminate that task altogether. When my day is overwhelming and my week is overwhelming, when my month is overwhelming, I use this tool to help me sort out and make in-the-moment decisions about what really needs to be addressed first and what I can take off of my plate completely. So if you want a quick tool that you can use anywhere, uh, the Eisenhower Matrix is it. I love it. I'm so glad you brought it up. So Allie, what are you learning about this week? So um, we have been going through Netflix, like most of America. And I actually uh, started a new show called Trial by Media. Ooh, tell yeah. us more. Uh, so I've only watched the first episode, um, but there was a litigation surrounding the responsibility of like the trash talk of the trashy TV talk shows kind of like in the early 90s, late 80s. And yeah, that we all grew up on. Exactly, like uh, Jerry Springer and uh, what's her name, Jenny. Oh, gosh, yeah. you know who I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and uh, the stories are, they're fascinating, just about how the media can influence um, our perception of, uh, a trial and guilt and responsibility and who, you know, to whom it actually falls on. So anyways, I recommend that show, or at least the first episode, um, makes you think. And so, yeah, that's what I, I learned this week. It was good. <laughs> what about you? So I am getting my master's right now. Allie Woo! just finished hers. <laughs> And I'm just starting it, and I'm in my first class this semester, which is called Social Stratification. And this, uh, the last two weeks, I've been reading a lot about um, status and uh, class and uh, the intersection of status, class, and race and gender. Mm -hmm. And uh, this past week, we were uh, focusing a lot on the power elite, the 1%. And particularly, it was interesting um, from an because I'm an educator to learn about um, uh, this concept of meritocracy um, that we think that we've removed um, barriers for people, and we think that um, we've created a system in which anybody can get into schools now, for example. Um, but we because we have not actually made the playing field level, um, we've actually just um, hidden the inequalities and we've, we've hidden, we've said like, well, anybody can apply and anyone can get in, but we're not looking behind the scenes at the fact that uh, a person um, maybe doesn't come from the best background, doesn't come from the best education or whatever, and therefore just saying that they should be able to get there if they worked hard enough isn't necessarily the case. And of course, this is stuff that I've thought about before, but really reading about it and analyzing these texts and thinking about it in relationship to like what's happening in the world right now has been just like eye-opening for me. So that's how I'm spending my uh, my mommy time in the morning right now is <laughs> mommy's special time. Mommy's special time is spent reading about the power elite and meritocracy. So. <laughs> time well spent. <laughs> yeah. So that brings us to the end of our episode. Um, thank you, Kara, today for sharing so much of your knowledge um, and your experience, because this is something that you're really passionate about, that you know a lot about. Um, and that I, I know that you want people to find what works for them. Right. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I think that um, it's really um, overwhelming when you're stepping into a, a position in production or in any sort of creative business where you're like, oh my gosh, I am responsible for all this creative output as well as 
uh, being responsible for this business side of things um, and being able to segment that and organize that in your daily life is really important. Absolutely, it is. So we hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, We're going to have all of the things that we referenced uh, available for you in the show notes and on our website. Uh, And we hope that you'll join us for our next episode of You'll Think of Something. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of You'll Think of Something. Just as a reminder, the views expressed in this podcast are the personal thoughts and feelings of the hosts and do not reflect those of their affiliated workplaces or larger organizations. To find more resources from the show, including the worksheet for this episode, visit ytos-podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ytos.podcast. And please email us with feedback, with your worksheets, or with suggestions for future shows at ytos.podcast at gmail.com. And remember, don't worry, you'll think of something.